As the waning light of summer gives in to the prolonged twilight of autumn, and the warm embrace of September sun gives in to the crisp chill of October's rust, we turn our attention now more acutely to the high strangeness that goes bump in the night. Just remember, there are things out there in the darkness, so lock your doors and throw up your protective wards. From the jack-o'-lantern's twisted grimace to the roots of all things Brothers Grimm, it's almost trick-or-treat time again. And although we're technically on a break from season three, the monsters in your walls, the ghosts in your attics, and the goblins in your garden are just now getting up to their ghoulish delights. So we're here to remind you, everything is not okay. Dim the lights, light a candle, and come dine with the devils. Walk with the zombies, read the forbidden books, and take pictures of the gremlins. I'll be your host for this evening's unholy adventures. My name is Alan Bishop, writer, historian, Tinker, Storyteller, and The Alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. And you're listening to, no, in fact you're experiencing, if you have ghosts, you have everything. Once upon a time in midwinter, when the snowflakes were falling like feathers from heaven, a beautiful queen sat sewing at her window, which had a frame of black ebony wood. As she sewed, she looked up at the snow and pricked her finger with her needle. Three drops of blood fell into the snow. The red on the white looked so beautiful that she thought, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood and as black as this frame. Soon afterwards, she had a little daughter that was as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony wood. And therefore, they called her Little Snow White. Now, the queen was the most beautiful woman in all the land, and very proud of her beauty. 
She had a mirror, which she stood in front of every morning and asked, Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? And the mirror always said, You, my queen, are fairest of all. And then she knew for certain that no one in the world was more beautiful than she. Now Snow White grew up, and when she was seven years old, she was so beautiful that she surpassed even the queen herself. Now when the queen asked her mirror, 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 on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror said, You, my queen, are fair. It is true, but little Snow White is still a thousand times fairer than you. When the queen heard the mirror say this, she became pale with envy, and from that hour on she hated Snow White. Whenever she looked at her, she thought that Snow White was to blame, that she was no longer the most beautiful woman in the world. This turned her heart around. Jealousy gave her no peace. Finally, she summoned a huntsman and said to him, Take Snow White out into the woods to a remote spot and stab her to death. As proof that she is dead, bring her lungs and her liver back to me. I shall cook them with salt and eat them. The huntsman took Snow White into the woods. When he took out his hunting knife to stab her, she began to cry and begged fervently that he might spare her life, promising to run away into the woods and never return. The huntsman took pity on her because she was so beautiful, and he thought, the wild animals will soon devour her anyway. I'm glad that I don't have to kill her. Just then a young boar came running by. He killed it, cut out its lungs and liver and took them back to the queen as proof of Snow White's death. She cooked them with salt and ate them, supposing that she had eaten Snow White's lungs and liver. Snow White was now all alone in the great forest. She was terribly afraid began to run. She ran over sharp stones and through thorns the entire day. Finally, just as the sun was about to set, she came to a little house. The house belonged to seven dwarfs. They were working in a mine and not at home. Snow White went inside and found everything to be small but neat and orderly. There was a little table with seven little plates, seven little spoons, seven little knives and forks, seven little mugs, and against the wall there were seven little beds, all freshly made. Snow White was hungry and thirsty, so she ate a few vegetables and a little bread from each little plate and from each little glass she drank a drop of wine. Because she was so tired, she wanted to lie down and go to sleep. She tried each of the seven little beds, one after the other, but none felt right until she came to the seventh one, and she lay down in it and fell asleep. When night came, the seven dwarves returned home from their work. They lit their seven little candles and saw that someone had been in their house. The first one said, Who has been sitting in my chair? The second one, who has been eating from my plate? The third one, who has been eating my bread? The fourth one, who has been eating my vegetables? The fifth one, who has been sticking with my fork? The sixth one, who has been cutting with my knife? The seventh one, who has been drinking from my mug? The first one, who stepped on my bed? The second one, and someone's been lying in my bed? And so forth until the seventh one, 
and when he looked at his bed, he found Snow White lying there fast asleep. The seven dwarves all came running, and they cried out with amazement. They fetched their seven candles and looked at Snow White. Good heaven! Good heaven! they cried. She is so beautiful! They liked her very much. They did not wake her up, but let her lie there in bed. The seventh dwarf had to sleep with his companions, one hour with each one, and then the night was done. When Snow White woke up, they asked her who she was and how she had found her way to their house. She told them how her mother had tried to kill her, how the huntsman had spared her life, how she had to run the entire day, finally coming to their house. The dwarfs pitied her and said, if you will keep house for us, and cook, sew, make beds, wash and knit, and keep everything clean and orderly, then you can stay here, and you'll have everything you want. We come home in the evening, and supper must be ready by then. But we spend the days digging for gold in the mine. You will be alone then. Watch out for the queen, and do not let anyone in. The queen thought that she was again the most beautiful woman in the land. And the next morning, she stepped before the mirror and asked, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror answered once again, You, my queen, are fair, it is true. But little Snow White, beyond the seven mountains, is a thousand times fairer than you. It startled the queen to hear this, and she knew that she had been deceived that the huntsman had not killed Snow White, because only the seven dwarves lived in the seven mountains. She knew at once that they must have rescued her. She began to plan immediately how she might kill her, because she would have no peace until the mirror once again said that she was the most beautiful woman in the land. At last, she thought of something to do. She disguised herself as an old peddler woman and colored her face so that no one would recognize her and went to the dwarf's house, Knocking on the door, she called out, Open up! Open up! I'm the old peddler woman with good wares for sale! Snow White peered out the window. What do you have? Bodice laces, dear child, said the old woman, and held one up. It was braided from yellow, red, and blue silk. Would you like this one? Oh, yes, said Snow White, thinking, I can let the old woman come in. She means well. She unbolted the door and bargained for the bodice laces. You are not laced up properly, said the old woman. Come here, I'll do it better. Snow White stood before her, and she took hold of the laces and pulled them so tight that Snow White could not breathe, and she fell down as if she were dead. Then the old woman was satisfied, and she went away. Nightfall came soon, and the seven dwarves returned home. They were horrified to find their dear Snow White laying on the ground as if she were dead. They lifted her up and saw that she was laced up too tightly. They cut the bodice laces in two, and then she could breathe, and she came back to life. It must have been the queen who tried to kill you, they said. Take care and do not let anyone in again. The queen asked the mirror, 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 on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror answered once again, You, my queen, are fair. It is true, but little Snow White with the seven dwarves is a thousand times fairer than you. She was so horrified that the blood all ran to her heart because she knew that Snow White had come back to life. 
Then for an entire day and a night she planned how she might catch her. She made a poison comb, disguised herself differently and went out again. She knocked on the door but Snow White called out, I am not allowed to let anyone in. Then she pulled out the comb and when Snow White saw how it glistened and noted that the woman was a complete stranger, she opened the door and bought the comb from her. Come, let me comb your hair, said the peddler woman. She had barely stuck the comb into Snow White's hair before the girl fell down and was dead. That will keep you lying there, said the queen, and she went home with a light heart. The dwarves came home just in time. They saw what had happened and pulled the poison comb from her hair. Snow White opened up her eyes and came back to life. She promised the dwarves not to let anyone in ever again. The queen stepped before her mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true. But little Snow White with the seven dwarves is a thousand times fairer than you. When the queen heard this, she shook and trembled with anger. Snow White will die if it costs me my life. Then she went into her most secret room. No one else was allowed inside, and she made a poisoned, poisoned apple. From the outside, it was red and beautiful, and anyone who saw it would want it. Then she disguised herself as a peasant woman, went to the dwarf's house and knocked on the door. Snow White peeped out and said, I'm not allowed to let anyone in. The dwarves have forbidden it most severely. If you don't want to, I can't force you, said the peasant woman. I'm selling these apples and I will give you one to taste. No, I can't accept anything. The dwarves don't want me to. If you are afraid, then I will cut the apple in two and eat half of it. Here, you eat the half with the beautiful red cheek. Now the apple had been so artfully made that only the red half was poisoned. When Snow White saw that the peasant woman was eating part of the apple, her desire for it grew stronger. So she finally let the woman hand her the other half through the window. She bit into it, but she barely had the bite in her mouth when she fell to the ground dead. The queen was happy, went home and asked her mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? And it answered, you, my queen, are fairest of all. Now I'll have some peace, she said, because once again I'm the most beautiful woman in the land. Snow White will remain dead this time. That evening, the dwarfs returned home from the mines. Snow White was lying on the floor and she was dead. They loosened her laces and looked in her hair for something poisonous, but nothing helped. They could not bring her back to life. They laid her on a briar, and all seven sat next to her and cried and cried for three days. They were going to bury her, but they saw that she remained fresh. She did not look at all like a dead person, and she still had beautiful red cheeks. They had a glass coffin made for her and laid her inside so that she could be seen easily. They wrote her name and her ancestry on it in gold letters, and one of them always stayed at home and kept watch over her. Snow White lay there in the coffin a long, long time and she did not decay. She was still as white as snow and as red as blood, 
and if she had been able to open her eyes, they still would have been as black as ebony wood. She lay there as if she were asleep. One day, a young prince came to the dwarf's house and wanted shelter for the night. When he came into the parlor and saw Snow White lying there in a glass coffin, illuminated so beautifully by seven little candles, he could not get enough of her beauty. He read the golden inscription and saw that she was the daughter of a king. He asked the dwarfs to sell him the coffin with the dead Snow White, but they would not do this for any amount of gold. Then he asked them to give her to him, for he could not live without being able to see her, and he would keep her and honor her as his most cherished thing on earth. Then the dwarfs took pity on him and gave him the coffin. The prince had it carried to his castle and had it placed in a room where he sat by it the whole day, never taking his eyes from it. Whenever he had to go out and was unable to see Snow White, he became sad and he could not eat a bite unless the coffin was standing next to him. Now the servants, who always had to carry the coffin, to and fro became angry about this. One time one of them opened the coffin, lifted Snow White upright and said, We are plagued the whole day long just because of such a dead girl. And he hit her in the back with his hand. Then the terrible piece of apple that she had bitten off came out of her throat and Snow White came back to life. She walked up to the prince who was beside himself with joy to see his beloved Snow White alive. They sat down together at the table and ate with joy. Their wedding was set for the next day. And Snow White's godless mother was invited as well. That morning, she stepped before the mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but the young queen is a thousand times fairer than you. She was horrified to hear this, and so overtaken with fear that she could not say anything. Still, her jealousy drove her to go to the wedding and see the young queen. When she arrived, she saw that it was Snow White. Then they put a pair of iron shoes into the fire until they glowed, and she had to put them on and dance in them. Her feet were terribly burned, and she could not stop until she had danced herself to death. Death of the Seven Dwarves, a legend from Switzerland, translated by D.L. Ashleman. On one of the high plains between Brug and Waldshut, near the Black Forest, seven dwarves lived together in a small house. Late one evening, an attractive young peasant girl, who was lost and hungry, approached them and requested shelter for the night. The dwarves had only seven beds, and they fell to arguing with one another, for each one wanted to give up his bed for the girl. Finally, the oldest one took the girl into his bed. Before they could fall asleep, a peasant woman appeared before their house, knocked on the door, and asked to be let inside. The girl got up immediately and told the woman that the dwarves had only seven beds, and that there was no room there for anyone else. 
this, the woman became very angry and accused the girl of being a slut, thinking that she was cohabitating with all seven men, threatening to make a quick end to such evil business. She went away in a rage. That same night, she returned with two men, whom she had brought up from the bank of the Rhine. They immediately broke into the house and killed the seven dwarves. They buried the bodies outside in the garden and burned the house to the ground. No one knows what became of the girl. This version apparently came from Ernst Ludwig Rochholz. I probably did not say that right. In Tod der Sieben Zwerge, uh, volume one, and is from around 1856. So, uh, pretty, pretty scandalous version, obviously, but a lot of fun nonetheless. The Crystal Casket, Italy. There was once a widower who had a daughter. This daughter was between 10 and 12 years old. Her father sent her to school, and as she was all alone in the world, commended her always to her teacher. Now, the teacher, seeing that the child had no mother, fell in love with the father and kept saying to the girl, ask your father if he would like me for a wife. This she said to her every day, and at last the girl said, Papa, the schoolmistress is always asking me if you will marry her. The father said, Eh, my daughter, if I take another wife, you will have great troubles. But the girl persisted, and finally the father was persuaded to go one evening to the schoolmistress's house. When she saw him, she was well pleased, and they settled the marriage in a few days. Poor child! How bitterly she had to repent having found a stepmother so ungrateful and cruel to her. She sent her every day out on a terrace to water a pot of basil, and it was so dangerous that if she fell she would go into a large river. One day, there came by a large eagle and said to her, What are you doing here? She was weeping because she saw how great the danger was of falling into the stream. The eagle said to her, Get on my back and I will carry you away, and you will be happier than with your new mama. After a long journey they reached a great plain, where they found a beautiful palace all of crystal. The eagle knocked at the door and said, Open my ladies, open, for I have brought you a pretty girl. When the people in the palace opened the door and saw that lovely girl, they were amazed and kissed and caressed her. Meanwhile, the door was closed and they remained peaceful and contented. Let us return to the eagle, who though she was doing a spite to the stepmother. One day, the eagle flew away to the terrace where the stepmother was watering the basil. Where's your daughter? asked the eagle. Eh, she replied, perhaps she fell from this terrace and went into the river. I have not heard from her in 10 days. The eagle answered, what a fool you are. I carried her away, seeing that you treated her so harshly. I carried her away to my fairies, and she is very well. Then the eagle flew away. The stepmother, filled with rage and jealousy, called a witch from the city and said to her, You see, my daughter is alive, and is in the house of some fairies of an eagle which often comes upon my terrace. 
Now you must do me the favor and find some way to kill this stepdaughter of mine, for I am afraid that someday or other she will return, and my husband discovering this matter will certainly kill me. The witch answered, Oh, you need not be afraid of that. Leave it to me. What did the witch do? She had made a little basket full of sweetmeats, in which she put a charm. Then she wrote a letter, pretending that it was her father, who, having learned where she was, wished to make her this present. And the letter pretended that her father was so glad to hear that she was with the fairies. Let us leave the witch, who is arranging all this deception, and return to Ermelina, for so the young girl was named. The fairies had said to her, See, Ermelina, we are going away and shall be absent four days. Now in this time, take good care not to open the door for anyone, for some treachery is being prepared for you by your stepmother. She promised not to open the door. Do not be anxious. I am well off and my stepmother has nothing to do with me. But it was not so. The fairies went away, and the next day, when Ermelina was alone, she heard a knocking at the door and said to herself, Knock away, I don't open to anyone. But meanwhile, the blows redoubled, and curiosity forced her to look out of the window. What did she see? She saw one of the servant girls of her own home, for the witch had disguised herself as one of her father's servants. Oh, my dear Ermelina, she said, your father is shedding tears of sorrow for you because he really believed you were dead. But the eagle which carried you off came and told him the good news that you were here with the fairies. Meanwhile, your father, not knowing what civility to show you, for he understands very well that you are in need of nothing, has thought to send you this little basket of sweetmeats. Ermelina had not yet opened the door. The servant begged her to come down and take the basket and a letter, but she said, No, I wish nothing. But finally, since women, and especially young girls, are fond of sweetmeats, she descended and opened the door. When the witch had given her the basket, she said, Eat this, and broke off for her a piece of the sweetmeats, which she had poisoned. When Ermelina took the first mouthful, the old woman disappeared. Ermelina had scarcely time to close the door when she fell down on the stairs. When the fairies returned, they knocked at the door, but no one opened it for them. Then they perceived that there had been some treachery and began to weep. Then the chief of the fairies said, We must break open the door. And so they did, and saw Ermelina dead on the stairs. Her other friends, who loved her so dearly, begged the chief of the fairies to bring her to life, but she would not for she said, she has disobeyed me. But one and the other asked her until she consented. She opened Ermelina's mouth, took out a piece of the sweetmeat, which she had not yet swallowed, raised her up, and Ermelina came to life again. We can imagine what a pleasure it was for her friends, but the chief of the fairies reproved her for her disobedience, and she promised not to do so again. Once more, the fairies were obliged to depart. Their chief said, Remember, Ermelina, the first time I cured you, but the second, I will have nothing to do with you. Ermelina said that they need not worry, that she would not open to anyone. But it was not so, for the eagle, thinking to increase her stepmother's anger, told her again that Ermelina was alive. The stepmother denied it all to the eagle, but she summoned anew the witch 
and told her that her stepdaughter was still alive, saying, Either you will really kill her, or I will be avenged on you. The old woman, finding herself caught, told her to buy a very handsome dress, one of the handsomest she could find, and transformed herself into a tailoress belonging to the family, took the dress, departed, went to poor Ermelina, knocked at the door and said, Open, open, for I am your tailoress. Ermelina looked out the window and saw her tailoress, and was in truth a little confused. Indeed, anyone would have been so. The tailoress said, Come down, I must fit a dress on you. She replied, No, no, for I have been deceived once. But I am not the old woman, replied the tailoress. You know me, for I have always made your dresses. Poor Ermelina was persuaded and descended the stairs. The tailoress took to flight while Ermelina was yet buttoning up the dress and disappeared. Ermelina closed the door and was mounting the stairs, but it was not permitted her to go up, for she fell down dead. Let us return to the fairies, who come home and knocked on the door. But what good did it do to knock? There was no longer anyone there. They began to weep. The chief of the fairies said, I told you that she would betray me again, but now I will have nothing more to do with her. So they broke open the door and saw the poor girl with the beautiful dress on. She was dead. They all wept because they really loved her, but there was nothing to do. The chief struck her enchanted wand and commanded a beautiful rich casket, all covered with diamonds and other precious stones to appear. Then the others made a beautiful garland of flowers and gold, put it on the young girl, and then laid her in the casket, which was so rich and beautiful that it was marvelous to behold. Then the old fairy struck her wand as usual and commanded a handsome horse, the like of which not even the king possessed. Then they took the casket, put it on the horse's back, and led him into the public square of the city. And the chief of the fairies said, Go, and do not stop until you find someone who says to you, Stop for pity's sake, for I have lost my horse for you. Now let us leave the afflicted fairies and turn our attention to the horse, which ran away at full speed, who happened to pass at that moment the son of a king. The name of this king is not known, and saw this horse with that wonder on its back. Then the king began to spur his horse and rode him so hard that he killed him, and he had to leave him dead in the road. But the king kept running after the other horse. The poor king could endure it no longer. He saw himself lost and exclaimed, Stop, for pity's sake, for I have lost my horse for you. Then the horse stopped, for those were the words. When the king saw that beautiful girl dead in the casket, he thought no more about his own horse, but took the other to the city. The king's mother knew that her son had gone hunting. When she saw him returning with this loaded horse, she did not know what to think. The son had no father. Therefore, he was all-powerful. He reached the palace, had the horse unloaded, and the casket carried to his chamber. Then he called his mother and said, Mother, I went hunting, but I have found a wife. But what is it? A doll? A dead woman? Mother, replied her son, don't trouble yourself about what it is. It is my wife. His mother began to laugh and withdrew to her own room. What could she do? Poor mother. Now this poor king no longer went hunting, took no diversion, did not even go to the table, but ate in his own room. By a fatality it happened 
that war was declared against him, and he was obliged to depart. He called his mother and said, Mother, I wish two careful chambermaids, whose business it shall be to guard this casket, for if on my return I find that anything has happened to my casket, I shall have the chambermaids killed. His mother, who loved him, said, Go, my son, fear nothing, for I myself will watch over your casket. He wept several days at being obliged to abandon this treasure of his, but there was no help for it. He had to go. After his departure, he did nothing but command his wife, so he called her, to his mother in his letters. Let us return to the mother, who no longer thought about the matter, not even to have the casket dusted. But all at once there came a letter which informed her that the king had been victorious and should return to his palace in a few days. The mother called the chambermaids and said to them, Girls, we are ruined. They replied, Why, Highness? Because my son will be back in a few days. And how have we taken care of the doll? They answered, True, true. Now let us go and wash the doll's face. They went to the king's room and saw that the doll's face and hands were covered with dust and fly specks. So they took a sponge and washed her face. But some drops of water fell on her dress and spotted it. The poor chambermaids began to weep and went to the queen for advice. The queen said, Do you know what to do? Call a tailoress and have a dress precisely like this bought and take off this one before my son comes. They did so, and the chambermaids went to the room and began to unbutton the dress. The moment that they took off the first sleeve, Ermelina opened her eyes. The poor chambermaids sprang up in terror, but one of the most outrageous said, I am a woman, and so is this one. She will not eat me. To cut the matter short, she took off the dress, and when it was removed, Ermelina began to get out of the casket and to walk about and see where she was. The chambermaids fell on their knees before her and begged her to tell them who she was. She, poor girl, told them the whole story. Then she said, I wish to know where I am. The chambermaids called the king's mother to explain it to her. The mother did not fail to tell her everything, and she, poor girl, did nothing but weep penitently, thinking of what the fairies had done for her. The king was on the point of arriving. And his mother said to the doll, Come here, put on one of my best dresses. In short, she arrayed her like a queen. Then came her son. They shut the doll up in a small room so that she could not be seen. The king came with great joy, with trumpets blowing and banners flying for the victory. But he took no interest in all this and ran at once to his room to see the doll. The chambermaids fell on their knees before him, saying, that the doll smelled so badly that they could not stay in the palace and were obliged to bury her. The king would not listen to this excuse, but at once called two of the palace servants to erect the gallows. His mother comforted him in vain. My son, it was a dead woman. No, no, I will not listen to any reasons, dead or alive. You should have left it for me. Finally, when his mother saw... He was in his earnest about the gallows. She rang a little bell, and there came forth no longer the doll, but a very beautiful girl, whose like was never seen. The king was amazed, and said, What is this? Then his mother, the chambermaids, and Ermelina were obliged to tell him all that had happened. He said, Mother, 
since I adored her when dead and called her my wife, now I mean her to be my wife in truth. Yes, my son, replied his mother, do so, for I am willing. They arranged the wedding, and in a few days were man and wife. <laughs>